It's Daily Thunder, thundering out the truth of Jesus Christ live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more about our discipleship programs or to support this podcast, visit ellerslie.com. Now, here's Eric Lee. Welcome to the Wednesday edition of Daily Thunder. I'm going through a series which has been very enjoyable for me. Whether or not it's been enjoyable for everyone else, I guess, is another discussion. But it's spiritual lessons from World War II. And uh, it's, it's funny because I keep on having sub-thoughts that come up like I could do a, I could do a message on that too. I could, I mean, I'm hardly, I don't even know that I've gotten to the war. I'm not exactly sure. I mean, technically, in our progression, Germany did invade Poland, right? And so I think something's happened. <laughs> and we did officially start the war. But so much of World War II that fascinates me isn't just as much fighting. It's the subtleties. It's the conspiracies. <laughs> it's the enemy that is underneath the surface doing what he's doing and the good guy's not knowing it. I mean, to me, that's like deeply disturbing but very telling to what I see happening in my own life oftentimes and in others. And so it's like I want to expose it. I want to cry from a rooftop. Hitler is building an army. <laughs> he means business. Don't trust him. That's what, that's what you want to say. You want to awaken. You want to blow a trumpet. And yet, even when the trumpet was blown, people didn't want to hear it. And so it's, the parallels are deep and profound. So this is, uh, this is a very unique one. I had a different name for this one. The, the name is Exposing the Fifth Column, which is a very intriguing title if you know what a fifth column is. Okay? It's, just, it's like uh, spies and you know, conspiracies, that type of a thing. And I'm not into conspiracy theories. It's not a fascination point for me. And so this is like a spy novel, uh, what we're going to get into today uh, in, in the beginnings of World War II. It's intriguing, but it's not just for the intriguing side that I'm bringing it up. My original title for this was The Con, and it's basically, if you're going to, to say it, the devil is a con man, okay? If I'm just going to call him what he is, it's a great term for us to understand. He's running a sting. He is actually attempting to play us. And so he has different characters. If you ever study, you know, a sting and a play and a, and a con, you know, you, you recognize that there are different players and they all play a role to create a false reality that you buy into. And then they take you for all you got. And that's what we have going on in World War II. Hitler is the con man, right? But Hitler is controlled. Hitler is decidedly <laughs> directed by something greater than Hitler, okay? He's demonically inspired, which is pretty easy to see the more you study it. So exposing the fifth column. Uh, the fifth column, this is the definition, simple definition. It's a group within a country at war. So let me say it, read it different. A, a group within a country at war. So when a country's at war, there's a group within it who are sympathetic to or working for its enemies. So a fifth column is a dangerous faction within your own country that you may not know about that actually sympathize with the enemy and actually want to see the enemy win. And they actually want to see the enemy take over your life. It's like, well, who would ever have that? Who would, why would we have a fifth column? Well, uh, welcome to uh, politics. Uh, this is like what happens all the time. Now, what's interesting, here's just a little sketch. If you're, if you're hearing this via podcast, uh, you're missing a cool little thing from uh, World War II, and it says, Appreciate America. And it shows this uh, guy who's trying to 
shove down the columns, the pillars that are holding up. So we have liberty, unity, uh, justice, and equality. This guy's trying to uh, push him over. Says, "Stop the fifth column." Yep. Uh, so we have the same thing in our life. Look at this. I, I have uh, appreciate. So I changed the graphic uh, to appreciate Christ instead of appreciate America, and it stopped the fifth column. We have we have a fifth column. I, you notice I changed the name to the flesh column. We have an enemy working within this country, if you want to say it, Eric Ludy, <laughs> inside of you, inside of this room, we have that which is attempting to work against us. So I, I define the flesh column, okay, which is a made-up term, by the way. That isn't like a historic term. It's like, oh, the flesh column. Paul does not call it the flesh column. He just calls it the flesh. It's an operation within a Christian at war that is sympathetic to or working for the enemy. Our flesh is not our friend. Our flesh is actually our foe. It is at enmity. It is at war with the Spirit of God. And as a result, we need to appreciate Christ. We need to stop the flesh column. See, don't you guys like that? That's a good, that's using World War II to teach you a great uh, principle. It's actually uh, not my main focus. I'm not going to be just talking about the flesh column and the fifth column. I'm going to go into how it works how this enemy works, how it worked in World War II, how it works now in us. So uh, I like the word hoodwinked, uh, so I'm going to use it in three straight slides. It's just a fascinating word that makes you laugh. Uh, I, I did the, uh, studied the etymology of hoodwinked, and I guess it comes from the game Blind Man's Bluff. So like hundreds and hundreds of years ago, uh, where they would actually blindfold someone and mislead them. So it's like the concept of veiling truth is being hoodwinked. So there's truth, but you don't see it. And so as a result, you're hoodwinked. So Chamberlain, who uh, Neville Chamberlain was the prime minister of Great Britain at the time uh, that all of this hoodwinking is going on. And Hitler's like, hey, look, I, I have your back. I want to stand with Great Britain. I'm with you guys. And oh, no, I don't actually want to uh, wage war. I have no interest in war. No, I, I don't want Austria. I don't want the Rhineland. I don't want Sudetenland. I don't want Czechoslovakia. I don't want Poland. I don't want Norway. I don't want the Balkans. Well, what do you, I don't want France. I mean, he takes the whole thing. It's like, are you actually believing this guy? And even after he starts taking, he's like, no, I don't want any more. That was all I'm going to take. Don't trust this guy. This is how the flesh will work in your life, too. The power of sin is a liar. The devil comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He is the father of lies. The fact that we have any negotiations and any peace treaties or pacts with him is the utmost, the highest levels of stupidity. So Neville Chamberlain was hoodwinked. So what lesson do we get from that? Don't make treaties with the enemy. Don't buy his lies. So I have another one. Stalin is hoodwinked. Isn't it interesting? Uh, because Stalin, you know, for most of us, he's just, he's a bad guy. And I, I would not argue with you if you thought Stalin was a bad guy. Yes, he was a very, very bad guy. However, I have a certain compassion for Stalin in World War II because he was hoodwinked. You know who hoodwinked him? Hitler. Hitler hoodwinked Stalin. Stalin thought that Hitler was on his side, and they were standing together against France and Great Britain. I mean, the guy fell for it. You know what? Hitler hates Stalin the whole time. Hitler is plotting and planning a devastation of the entire Soviet Russia, and he's going to, he's calling for, in private, in secret with his generals, a, an extermination war, where he's going to eliminate the entire population. Not just the government. He's going to kill all women and children, too. He is plotting this in secret. Meanwhile, face-to-face, -face, pleasantly, 
showing kindness towards Stalin. Stalin actually starts to like this guy. He's like, well, you know, I don't know why you like me, but hey, I like you. I like your evil (laughs) tendencies. We're both sort of similar to each other. I mean, it's just very fascinating. Stalin is hoodwinked. It's one of the greatest tragedies you could ever imagine because it's not just Stalin that's affected by this. Millions of Soviet Russians are going to be exterminated because Stalin trusts Hitler. So what lesson do we learn from that? Don't make treaties with the enemy. Don't buy his lies. Does that sound familiar? All right, we're going to go to one more. You and I hoodwinked. You see, I, I guarantee you, if all of us were to just lay out our life of how we have negotiated turns and decisions we've made, that there is a bargaining table that comes before us. Like, hey, look, you know, if you do this, I'll take care of you. You'll, 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 you'll enjoy life so much more. If you, just, you, you don't go strong with Christ, you, let, let's talk. Let's talk. We've all been hoodwinked, okay? And what, what do we learn from that? Here's the lesson. Don't make treaties with the enemy. Don't buy his lies. Okay, simple rule of thumb, right, in life. Sounds so easy when it's on the screen. For whatever reason, we are easily hoodwinked, which is why it's important that we know truth. Because truth is the thing that removes the veil of lies. And we see. Now what's interesting is yesterday Nathan walked you through the nine, the nine lies in the, in the session in the morning. And this morning Leslie is going to come in after uh, we're done with Daily Thunder. And she's going to take you through a message called Fortification. Interestingly enough, they're both on the book of Nehemiah. You know what, in, in when I was mapping out the Daily Thunders, not having a clue about either of those things, this is on Nehemiah. So you have three straight messages on Nehemiah. I think God's trying to say something to us, guys, that we're supposed to build the walls in our life and keep out the enemy, okay? That's just a hunch. That's that's like my guess at what God may be trying to say to us. So Nehemiah 2.10. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official, uh, the Ammonite official heard of it, what did they hear about? They heard that Nehemiah was rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Uh-oh. They were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. When sound, this is going to sound, it looks like, oh, no, it's a different scripture. Uh, 2.19. When Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they laughed at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you're doing? Will you rebel against the king? Now, it's interesting, and I'm sure Nathan covered this yesterday, but it's very fascinating to study the reactions of this enemy to the working of God. And what you begin to recognize is it's very similar. The enemy in this story is very similar to your enemy. And the mocking voice that you hear in this story is the very same mocking voice that we hear in our story. And the very same tactics that the enemy is going to use to try and stall their efforts, to hinder their efforts, and to get them to quit doing the work of God, strangely, the same exact tactics he uses to try and stall our work. Isn't that fascinating? What can you take from that? What is God teaching us? Why is God teaching us? Why does he stick the book of Nehemiah even in the Bible? You can say, well, it's important history. Well, I'm not going to argue that. However, In the New Testament, it's going to clarify that all Scripture is useful. All Scripture is useful for training us, for teaching us, for instructing us. In what? Well, in how to live in this body and how to do what Nehemiah was doing, but in this form. How we build a wall. 
how we establish the construction of the temple of God and then build a wall around it to secure ourselves from enemy invasion. And so as a result, we've been given this lesson to instruct us in how to deal with what we could call the fifth column. That which is at odds with us, and they're going to act like friends. Behind the scenes, they're despising and they're mocking, but then they're going to give overtures of friendship. You see, it's only when they're exposed as not being friends that then the animosity begins to kick in. So it's interesting. We have three characters, Sanballat, Tobias, and Geshem, right? So their names are even fascinating in how they sort of are the threats that come against us. So Sanballat, an imposing strength. So when you, if you're in Great Britain and you're staring at Germany, it's imposing strength, and it can cause you to fear and to cower. That's the way the enemy works. He works through fear. Fear, anxiety are key tactics for him that dismantle your defenses. And so as a result, it's like opening up a, a wall, a, a gap in the wall when you give way to fear. And so as a result, Sanballat is an imposing strength. Tobiah... It's interesting because his name means the Lord is good, which is a fascinating statement because we'd say, amen, the Lord is good, but why do you have that name, Tobiah? <laughs> because you're not living as if the Lord is good. So what I would describe him as is sort of the believable liar. It's like he comes and says, look, my name means the Lord is good. You can trust me. It's like, oh, no, you're, you're a liar. See, this, this guy's belie the believable liar is a great way of looking at Tobiah. And Geshem, his name means rain. And I, I would say it's, it's actually a fascinating statement to say when winds and rains, when Geshem beats against you, that there is a need to stand firm. You are going to be hit with an imposing strength. It's going to be a believable lie. And that those winds and rains are going to start crashing. Do you have rock beneath your feet? Do you know what you need to know to stand firm in this hour? So in Nehemiah 4.1, but it so happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. You see, he's going to give himself away along, along the path. Hitler eventually is exposed for what he is. You see, when you have a, a devious scheme, eventually it comes above ground and it's seen. The root is exposed in and through what buds. And so as a result, the same is going to be true in your life. There are certain things that when they're beneath the ground in the root level, they seem harmless. Like, it's not that big of a deal that I'm behaving this way. It's not that big of a deal that I'm thinking this way. There's really no repercussions. Whoa, just wait for the fruition of that. The fruition of that thought, that behavior, is actually death and destruction. And so as a result, you're going to see Sanballat ultimately reveal his, his nature and his character. Nehemiah 4.7, now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed that they became very angry. It seems like we have a rehearsal of the same exact phrase over and over in Nehemiah. It's like, yep, yep, your enemy is not going to be happy with your forward progression. Just get used to that. That's what God has already prepared us to understand. Don't be shocked by it. Do not consider it strange, my brethren, when you face trials of many kinds. Nehemiah 6.2, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me harm. The con, guys. These guys are thinking to do harm and yet they're proposing peace. Hey, come join us. Let's talk. Let's talk this thing through. Meanwhile, they have an ambush waiting to pounce upon 
Nehemiah. And so as a result, don't trust them. Don't enter into league. Don't go to Munich to talk with Hitler. Come on, Neville Chamberlain. Not a good idea, right? Now, that makes total sense in hindsight looking back on World War II because we're all brilliant. We see Hitler. It's totally exposed, just like you could say to Nehemiah right here. No, no. Don't go to Ono. That was funny. Oh, no. Don't go to Ono. Oh, no. Don't go. That was cool. Did you guys hear that? Maybe that was purposeful. Uh, So we see clearly, don't go to Ono, right? Because we see the whole story. But when we're in that situation, the enemy will call us out for a Munich pact. Say, come on, I want peace. You want peace. You don't want disturbance in your life. You don't want difficulty in your life. Come, you can trust me. Don't trust him. This is a time of war. That sort of peace is not real peace. It is going to lead to the greatest bloodshed in the history of the world if you try and trust this guy. And it did because they trusted an enemy. And as a result, it led to catastrophe of epic proportions. So, yes, we are not Neville Chamberlain. We are not Joseph Stalin. However, we can learn from this in our own soul to recognize that there is a bait from the enemy to draw us out of the clear protection of the word of God, the clear protection of God's uh, shed blood at the cross, to actually begin to enter into treaty and agreement with one who desires to destroy us. Let's not do that. The German disinformation campaign. Uh, So disinformation, sorry to use a big word that wasn't actually thought through, but it is a good military word, okay? A disinformation campaign is when you're giving false information. It's just lies, basically. But it's, it's bad information on purpose. And so when you're in a war, oftentimes someone will get captured and they'll have plans on them. And it's very interesting for high command to know what to do with those plans because they don't know if they were planted on him. And he was purposely captured so that he could mislead. I mean, it's actually part of the, the subtleties of war are very interesting to study is, and just to even think that through because that's what happened. A plane went down in Belgium and the pilot actually had this architectural design on him that showed uh, Hitler's intention to invade Belgium and Holland. And Belgium and Holland believed it was a plant and didn't do anything, and actually that was precisely the plans that Hitler had to invade them. They could have known exactly what was going on, but they thought it was on purpose. And so the British government studied it, and they're like, this is actually not on purpose. This is what he's going to do. And Belgium and Holland refused to listen, both of them. And they were destroyed, devastated, because they didn't take heed to the plans. So it's, I mean, just fascinating stuff like that. But the, German, the Germans had a disinformation campaign. And it was, this is just what the enemy does. He has a disinformation campaign. You know, it's like, you can't trust the Bible. Oh, and he'll go ahead and he'll, the people that are, uh, that he wants to influence your life, like for instance, your parents, he'll whisper to you about your parents. So you can't trust them. They don't have your best interest in mind. If you have a Christian leader in your life, he'll whisper to you about that Christian leader and try and undermine them. Why? So that you won't listen to them. Tactic 101 of the devil disinformation. He wants to lie to you so that you actually consider his lies more credible than the truth that is coming to you. It is a proactive move to create a sabotage of your soul, okay? He does this to nations too. I mean, everything that, is, that happens in wars, I mean, all the way back, but in, once you started having 
hot air balloons and you started having uh, planes, they start dropping pamphlets amongst enemy troops with like, your government is trying to kill you. And also, so these guys that are being shot at in uh, trenches who are miserable are like hearing, yeah, they want to kill you. They want you to die. That's why they stuck you there. <laughs> and these guys are like, what? Well, that's actually not true, but it sure does sound believable when you're in that trench with a flyer or a pamphlet dropping on you. It's like, well, thank you. Thank you for this re- re- reveal. When in actuality, it's all part of the enemy's disinformation campaign to stir up and create contention in the camp. So what, is the, what are the Germans saying? We have found the secret weapon that will utterly destroy all that oppose us. I mean, I just want you to ponder this for a second. Imagine that you hear that they have found a secret weapon, and if you oppose them, it will utterly devastate everything. And they are preparing to use it. You might want to stand down, Great Britain. Don't think of raising your guns against us. If you dare do it, we have power you know not of. Now, if you've studied Nehemiah, you would recognize That is precisely what Sanballat said. That is exactly what was said in Nehemiah. It's the same text, same concept, same script of the enemy. I've got you. You think you're all powerful. You think you're progressing with this wall, but I have plans that are greater than yours to destroy you. (laughs) We laugh back. Do you know who is greater? Greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. No weapon fashioned against us shall prosper. If God be for us, who can stand against us? We need to recognize the truth. It's when we don't have truth underneath our feet that we begin to crumble. Okay, but the enemy is boasting and the Germans have their disinformation campaign full swing. The Apostle John, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Isn't that a great statement? That's... It's a, it's a weird statement when it says you have overcome them and here you are, Great Britain, and you feel so weak and there's powerful uh, Hitler out there and if you were to read this, imagine you in your quiet time in the morning when bombs are starting to drop on, on London and it says you are of God, little children, have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. It, oh, it doesn't always feel <laughs> like you've done any overcoming. You feel very weak and vulnerable but you have truth beneath your feet. So this is what the Lord says. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Now this is, this is for those that are built in faith. Those that are the true Israel. Those that are in Christ. We recognize that there is no scheme, no conspiracy. I don't care how grand the group is that is conspiring together. There is no group that can take down the church of Jesus Christ and can snuff out the gospel of Christ that can actually overwhelm the truth of God in this world. Jesus wins. Every knee will bow, including those of the Illuminati. In other words, we are not bowing and kowtowing to even a scheme of man, let alone a scheme of the devil, okay? No weapon formed against you shall prosper. So at this time, what was the secret weapon? Whisperings were beginning to happen and make their way around the globe of atomic energy. I mean, this is very real, guys. If you were living in this time, it was a new discovery on the scientific home front. And so as a result, could you imagine what would be thought of if you begin to hear that Hitler's saying, we have found a secret weapon? 
it's actually believable. In other words, again, the disinformation campaign is oftentimes based on things that can feel very real. And so the fact that atomic energy is being discovered at the same time Hitler is hatching statements and disseminating them, it's like, oh, yeah, we just happen to have a secret weapon. You know, put that on, on these guys. So when, your soldier, when the soldiers are captured, what, what do they say uh, when they're being held? You know, when they're being interviewed or tortured. It's like, oh yes, and I need to admit to you that we have a secret weapon that will destroy you. It's like this is all part of the plan. So Winston Churchill says, in these final weeks, my fear was that his majesty's government, in spite of our guarantee, would recoil from waging war upon Germany if she attacked Poland. So obviously we're going a little back in time. Hitler was, or I'm sorry, Churchill was concerned that Great Britain, who had finally decided to stand up against Hitler, would once again fall for the ploy uh, of the enemy. There is no doubt that at this time, Mr. Chamberlain, the Prime Minister of Great Britain, had resolved to take the plunge, bitter though it was to him. But I did not know him so well as I did a year later. I feared that Hitler might try a bluff about some novel agency or secret weapon which would baffle or puzzle the overburdened cabinet. From time to time, Professor Lindemann had talked to me about atomic energy. I therefore asked him to let me know how things stood in this sphere, and after a conversation, I wrote the following letter to Kingsley Wood, the Secretary of State for Air, with whom my relations were fairly intimate. And so this is actually the letter from Churchill to Kingsley Wood. Some weeks ago, one of the Sunday papers splashed the story of the immense amount of energy which might be released from uranium by the re recently discovered chain of processes which take place when this particular type of atom is split by neutrons. At first sight, this might seem to pretend the appearance of new explosives of devastating power. In view of, it, of this, it is essential to realize that there is no danger that this discovery, however great its scientific interest and perhaps ultimately its practical importance, will lead to results capable of being put into operation on a large scale for several years. There are indications that tales will be deliberately circulated. Listen to this. This is so fascinating based on what we're talking about. There are indications that tales will be deliberately circulated when international tension becomes acute about the adaptation of this process to produce some terrible new secret explosive capable of wiping out London. What's interesting is that's exactly what's going to happen. So Churchill knows that atomic energy has been discovered. He recognizes what is taking place. And then he's also writing. He's writing to the Secretary of uh, War here that's over the Air Force. And he's basically saying, we can't fall for this. This technology is not going to be ready for a few years, so even if the enemy attempts to dissuade us in this way, we need to be watchful. Attempts will no doubt be made by the fifth column to induce us by means of this threat to accept another surrender. For this reason, it is imperative to state the true position. Well, that's a great statement for us. For this reason, it is imperative to state the true position. It is imperative that we know the word of God. The fear that this new discovery has provided the Nazis with some sinister new secret explosive with which to destroy their enemies is clearly without foundation. Dark hints will no doubt be dropped and terrifying whispers will be assiduously circulated, but it is hoped that nobody will be taken in by them. It is remarkable how accurate, this is Winston Churchill speaking now, in hindsight, in 19, I think he wrote this in 1948, so after the war. It is remarkable how accurate this forecast was, nor was it the Germans who found the path. 
Indeed, they followed the wrong trail. They had actually abandoned the search for the atomic bomb in favor of rockets or pilotless airplanes at the moment when President Roosevelt and I were taking the decisions and reaching the memorable agreements, which will be described in their proper place for the large-scale manufacture of atomic bombs. What a story. I mean, to, to recognize, I mean, we're so far removed from these things that we don't see the dynamic of what would have been taking place and how hard it would be to see straight in a time. If you thought Hitler had atomic bombs and he is threatening to use them if you dare stand up against him, you can understand why someone might say, peace, peace at all costs. The magnetic mines. So there was a problem. There, there's a... Historically, it's usually referred to as the Twilight War. So you have the Germans' invasion of Poland in 1939, but the war is really not going to start till May 10th of 1940. Now, to say it's not going to start is a misleading statement. It did start, but not in the full-scale total war sense that we're going to see when on May 10th, 1940, Germany is going to overwhelm Holland and Belgium in one day just sweep through and devastate them and suddenly start sweeping into France. It's a huge day. So May 10th, 1940 is going to be the day. So we are in the period between the start of the war at the end of 1939 to that time in May, and we have something called the Twilight War. That's actually just what it's known as in, in, in history. I think Neville Chamberlain called it that. But as a result, it's like they don't know what the enemy's up to. They don't know where he's at. And so he attacks, you know, one of his submarines takes down one of their ships at sea. Like, oh yeah, he's out there. And it was like, they had no idea what was happening. And so it's a very m misty, foggy season. Uh, they don't know what's going on. And in, one of the things that they had in this time, remember that the enemy is threatening that they have a weapon of grand proportions, right? And so these boats at sea, the, they, were, they were taking out all the shipping of, the, of Great Britain. They're an island nation, so if they start losing their imports, they, they're very limited, and you can snuff out life on the island of Great Britain pretty easily if you cut down all of its boats coming in with all of its cargo, right? All the products it needs for food and for war, and so they're starting to take out all these boats, but they don't know at first how they're being taken out. They're just <laughs> exploding. They're like, is it submarines? What is it? And so it's this like time where you can just sort of feel the powers of darkness mocking them. It's like, we have you right where we want you. We have a secret weapon. We can take you out whenever we want. That's exactly Sanballat's lie. Even a fox could knock down that wall is what he says. It's like, you have nothing. You think you're all tough behind your wall that's half built? I could take it down with my breath of my nostrils if I wanted, says the enemy, at any moment I want. And at first, you're actually thinking, maybe he could. And so what's amazing is I, I, I'm very fascinated with the story that one night, they actually see someone witnesses a German airplane coming over the shoreline of uh, Great Britain, and they were, they were planting something, and it was a mine. They're going to later find out that it's a mine. And so that makes sense. Well, this was a mine unlike they'd ever seen before. And they were called magnetic mines. And so as a result, when a ship would go by, it would like sort of pull into it and <laughs> explode the thing. It was a very dangerous thing, but it was new technology. It was a weapon that was very devious. And so, but someone witnesses this. 
And so it goes into these deep waters uh, in, in the ocean. And so they, they waited for the low tide. And then these two men that went out that specialized in bombs. And they go under the water and actually recover this mine. And then bring it into the laboratory to inspect it and to figure it out, to figure out what causes it to work. And they actually discover the enemy's secret of how he was blowing up all these ships because they captured his weapon. And it was exposed. The working of the enemy was brought into the light. And so what did they do? They, they actually would wrap their boats. This is the first thing they did with this like demagnetizing type of metal. And so as a result, it debunked, it, it, it neutralized the power of these mines. Because they found out what the enemy was doing, studied it, exposed it, and suddenly were protected from it. I just gave you how... God works with us. This is how the word of God does it. He says, oh, you see that fall? Yeah, let's bring it into the lab. Okay, now let's break it into its parts. Uh-huh, see, that lie? Uh-huh, that lie, that lie. This is how he works. Now, if you build yourself in Christ and put that Gaussian strip around the outside of, you will, I think it's de-gauze, de-gaussian. I don't remember the, the term that they had for demagnetizing these things. But that's what we do in our life by clothing ourselves in Christ. So the enemy has his ploys, and he wants to bring fear. He wants to make it seem like he is all-powerful, when in actuality, if God be for us, who can stand against us? So the use of the book of Nehemiah, very simply put, it's the enemy's magnetic minds being exposed. The enemy has the same tactics today as he had back then. When you know that, you suddenly get a smile on your face and go, huh, see, he's not a creator. He doesn't come up with new things. He is a created being. He's very limited. And as Solomon says, there's nothing new under the sun. Well, there's nothing new in the devil's playbook. He's the same devil to all of us. And so as a result, we can compare notes and actually go, huh, it's the same lie he tells me. That's the same quote. You know all the arguments against the scriptures? Same arguments over and over, repackaged for every generation, repackaged for every conversation. It's like, boy, I am sick and tired of hearing that same question over and over and over again. It's the same ploy. The devil can't create himself anew. He is a liar and a thief. He functions the same way in every generation, and we have been given everything we need to know and to understand the battle we're in so that we can win it. Paul the Apostle, Colossians 2, 13 through 15. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Listen to this. So this is like, talking about the mines, the, the magnetic mines, talking about all the threats of this enemy who says, I have secret designs to destroy you all. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing, triumphing over them in it. Let me lay out for you, says Jesus at the cross, the weakness and the defeat of the enemy. Let me show you his ploy. Let me disseminate that throughout the nations that you would know 
and not be ignorant of the enemy's devices. That's what Paul says. We are not ignorant of the enemy's devices. And I would say, you know, Paul, maybe you weren't in the first century. I think we are today. I think we're falling for the ancient tactic all over again. And ironically, even when you look at World War II, you're like, oh, we won't fall for that. We're falling for the exact same thing today. We're repeating history. And you would think we would learn from history, because isn't that what history class is for? I mean, what, what, what good is it otherwise? Just to have some knowledge about something that happened in the past, unless it has some benefit for us today. It does have benefit for us today, but it's not just so that we can be guarded politically as a nation. It's so that we could, as the church of Jesus Christ, be guarded spiritually as a body so that we could understand the enemy's ploys so that we could respond to them with wisdom and sharpness. Father, I ask that you would wall us in, that we would live with a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other. And Lord Jesus, that we would see the establishment of your strength in our life at a greater degree today. And that the enemy would be pushed back. That we would turn a deaf ear to Sanballat, Tobias, and Geshem the Arabian. And that we would not allow them to define our forward movement. That we would, but we would allow your word, your truth, your Holy Spirit to lead us. Set us free for your purposes, Lord Jesus. We trust you. It's in the precious name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily weekdays at 8.15 a.m. and weekends at 9.15 a.m. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellersley.com. Thanks for listening.